You're listening to Beauty and Impact, the show that gets valuable insights from changemakers disrupting the norms of beauty, wellness, and sustainability. We tackle topics like the impacts of beauty ingredients on our health and the environment, where people of color fit into the clean beauty conversation, sustainable beauty solutions, and so much more. We're your hosts and sisters, environmental activist Ashley Renee Insanwu and clinical skincare industry insider Jasmine Hill, here to spill all the green tea on beauty and sustainability. Let's go. Hey, 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 welcome to the very first episode of Beauty and Impact. Ah, it's finally here, and y'all, we are coming in hot with this episode, okay? <laughs> we decided to kick it off with someone who we really admire and look up to, and she is going to spill all the green tea on some really important data regarding the racial discrepancy women of color experience when buying beauty products. But first, before we get into all of that, let's just chat with y'all for a few minutes. So first of all, today is New Year's Day, and I don't know what I was thinking about scheduling this with it being National Hangover Day, (laughs) but I stayed in last (laughs) night and I got a little sleepy, so I didn't have too much of a champagne campaign, so I'm good. Um, (laughs) I'm really excited, though, because we're starting to drip out our episodes, and then this week, I want to be able to do a little toast, but I'm doing dry January, so I'm just going to toast with a ginger shot so let me see what I got <laughs> that works. here I'm breastfeeding so I'm toasting with water so yeah <laughs> not as exciting but. I don't think that's actually good to do I think that's um I must say illegal it's definitely not illegal um but like if you're superstitious it's bad luck to toast with water just FYI so I'm toasting <laughs> with a shot that I got from Press Juicery so I always start the year with like um a juice cleanse and not necessarily that like I don't eat for like the day but like I just get like a ton of juices because I've been eating like crap <laughs> for the holiday yeah so that's what this is it's actually a probiotic shot with also ginger so let's toast yes water and ginger shots we are mm. so fun <laughs> Since it's the first episode, Ash, you want to let everybody in on the method behind our madness of how we're doing our episodes. Okay, yes. So there are going to be three parts to each of our episodes, y'all. We're going to kick off each episode with each of us bringing up a current topic in our lane. So that's beauty for Jasmine and environmentalism for me. And after that, we're going to do a quick spotlight on maybe a product or a service that we've been using that we want to share with y'all. And then we'll get into the main part of the episode, which is going to be a major topic that we'll be discussing either together or with a guest. Um, You'll even get, okay, this is exciting, a behind the scenes first look in real time at something my sister and I have been building together that finally launches this year. Ah, (laughs) We're actually saying this out loud. I can't believe this is like our first official time saying this out loud. So we actually picked uh, today, which is January 1st, as a day to record this because it's really symbolic of us spending New Year's together back in 2020 in India, back when we were looking to incorporate some of the ingredients that were grown on our grandmother's farm in India into this huge thing that we set off to build. So again, just FYI, We're going to be dropping little hints about our massive venture throughout the season leading up to our launch. So make sure you stick with us in every episode. 
But since we are recording this on New Year's Day, let's just start with a little bit of a trend analysis of the beauty and wellness industry, because I basically feel like I've made it my job to watch how culture moves and set a bet on the trends. I love digging into Google trends, Pinterest trends. So what I did for today's report is I pulled what was in the Pinterest predicts trend report, which is something that Pinterest does every year. And then there's analysis that Beauty Matter did on it. So here are some of the highlights for or what they're predicting between beauty and wellness for 2022. Let's see if anything's are weird, goopy, or just out of this world. So first trend is be jeweled. So bringing the bling to everything. So Gen Z is driving the trend, accessorizing the entire body. So these are the trending search terms. Tooth gems up 85%. Um, pedicures with rhinestones up 150%. So who knows? I know I got a really cool um, rhinestone manicure with like the nails that I got done at some point last year. But as a curly girl, that did not work for me because <laughs> if you ever tried to wash your hair when you got rhinestones all over it, let me just tell you, it does not end well. Um, second trend that I pulled that they mentioned that I love is is puff love so 2022 we'll see the celebration of natural texture with big hair styling techniques like space buns and high puff hairstyles so some of the trending terms behind this analysis was hair puff hairstyles up 165 percent space bun natural hair up a hundred percent and then two puffs natural hairstyles up 65 percent which i love because i feel like i did this pretty much most of the year with my daughter and she just always looked like loves her two little buns and she's so um, cute ah, i love her buns let's see going to more of like the wellness side something that was cool was an emotional escape room so i didn't even know that this was like being named but like if you're naming it i love this so rage rooms is up 150 <laughs> percent um crystal rooms went up eight times and then home massage room went up 190 mm. percent so i know i have my own personal escape room emotional escape room and it's driving force is plants beginning a pandemic nothing in here and then like every trader joe's run a new plant and at this point i think there's like 80 plants in here i don't I don't even know it's like ridiculous so i would love to merge the plants and crystal room together i'm i'm kind of feeling that back on to wellness mindful meditation nope actually that's mindful menstruation um <laughs> I may not have actually pulled that one if I had read that correctly. But since we're here, we're going to go for it. Okay, so like one of the trends that's up here is actually a period starter kit up 85%. And I think that that's really cool because even though I am way past my first period, um, I'm at the point in time where I'm starting to watch out for like my daughter. We actually just did like this group where we had mom friends with like their kids that are all around the same age. And they all came together with a specialist who kind of like walked them through like what to expect with their first period, all kind of like puberty changes. And they did talk about this first period starter kit, which I thought was pretty cool. So what do you think about some of these things? So <laughs> some of this was a little 
weird to me, but just going back to what you just mentioned about the period starter kit, first thing that actually came to my mind was I hope that in these period starter kits, they have the sustainable period options, like the menstrual cups, reusable period panties, and also reusable pads. Like those are all things that uh, I really try to encourage people to use instead of tampons and disposable pads. So I'm really curious if those kits include the reusable options. So you know what, there was one cat, I think that I was looking at that they had in that the lady was there, like brought it was called like Ruby. And I can't remember, I want to say like things was included in it. But just I know for sure, like what, because I haven't actually like purchased our first kit yet. But I know like what that lady was doing was she actually just like brought like all of your options there so in addition to kind of like well I don't know we'll call it old school like the regular tampons and pads and liners she did have for them to be able to touch and feel and look at um things so the period panties and then everybody there got like a discount code for that and then she also had I'm forgetting exactly the brand maybe salt if that makes sense yeah so they had the menstrual cups there thinks panties there and kind of like talked about that I think for some of the moms that um thinks was new but I think most of us were like familiar with like the cups but yeah it'll be interesting to see if there are any actual kits now that include it I I really hope that's the case because we need to encourage our kids to start out making more sustainable approaches to what they're doing because I just think it's just so much easier to do it in the beginning versus when they get to be older but yeah some of what you read was just like a little weird to me I I don't know (laughs) how do you feel about setting trends from data versus just going with what your gut says. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm I'm very old school, so I'm partial to things like landing in a new city when we went to Morocco and Japur together when I had a jewelry line back in the day, and then we'd hit the street observing people and you know, check to see what people were wearing, ask them where they shopped, what they were into, just like really on the ground gorilla inspiration. And then even like, for me, I feel like my friend circle, I always call them my own crew of Miranda Priestley's of culture. So um, (laughs) that's like a reference from Devil Wears Parada, if you guys don't get that part. But now I feel like it's just like, there's so much that has evolved within like the digital capacity of like what we can kind of pull from. So even though I do feel like I'm very old school of like really wanting to be on the ground of things I feel like you have to get into the weeds right a little bit to really figure out though what data trends are fluffy so I feel like I follow my gut but I just try to never make any decisions without at least sorting through some of the data that backs it up because we are really fortunate right now to have these things like the Pinterest trends and Google Trends and all of these things that can maybe back up what you were already kind of like thinking about with your ideas, you know? Hmm, okay. So tell us a little bit about um, what you found out that you thought was pretty cool and about how retail is adapting to eco-responsibility. So our guest today, Miss Boma Brown-West, who you'll be hearing from very shortly, works for Environmental Defense Fund. And she wrote an article about the gigantic environmental footprint of e-commerce, which is something something we've all probably been heavily reliant on since the start of the pandemic, right? Like it's very convenient to order things online from the comfort and the safety of our homes. But all that online shopping means an increase in packaging waste and rising emissions from freight delivery. And, you know, all that packaging that gets delivered to us has to go somewhere. And it 
ends up in landfills and uh, it pollutes our oceans. And of course, you know, it ends up hurting our land and sea wildlife friends. So I want to shout out a few companies that are taking steps to address this major issue. First, I think we really need to focus on circularity when it comes to packaging. So for this, I want to shout out the Pact Collective, which is a nonprofit collection program for the beauty industry. And their mission is to provide a solution for all that really like hard to recycle beauty packaging that you honestly just never know what to do with. Like squeezable tubes, pumps, caps, you know, the stuff that usually can't be curbside recycled. They're mm-hmm. actually going to give these parts new life. Like how exciting is that, Jazz? No, I love it. Um, I, you know, so anyone who does not live in LA, so um, we have a Credo here. Um, and so Credo is actually one of the people um, or one of the organizations of the pack collective um, together, I think, with Element Packaging and maybe two other companies as well. And so like when I go into a Credo, even if I didn't buy the beauty or personal care item from there, I can, you know, wash it out, clean it out beforehand, and I can actually bring it in and just like drop it off like a little recycling box there. So I thought that that was like pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome. I have FOMO because I live in Atlanta. (laughs) We have no credo here, but that's pretty cool that you guys have that in LA. (laughs) Um, Okay. And so the second part of this little shout out that I want to do to e-commerce businesses is to Walmart and Sephora. And that's for implementing programs that provide incentives for being more sustainable. So you have like Walmart Sustainable Supplier Finance Program, which lets suppliers that set and meet science-backed sustainability targets targets obtain the lowest available financing rates if and when they choose to seek early payment on their invoices. So that's great. They're they're incentivizing them. And then Sephora's Clean Plus Planet Positive Program provides a special seal to their brands that focus on climate commitments, sustainable sourcing, responsible packaging, environmental giving, like all that awesome stuff that I love. So yes, changes are coming. And honestly, I am just so excited to see how much progress gets made in 2020. 22 in the sustainability space. Same. And I love that it's like these larger companies too, because I think, you know, you, Ashley, coming from more sustainability, environmentalism, you know, you probably hear a lot of people who kind of come down on larger corporations. But I think, like, from my point of view, like, I love the fact that these large leaders that, you know, other companies and corporations are looking to within like the beauty industry outside of the beauty industry are making these changes because I think that again, like these ideas will spread faster and you need more of the big players to do as much of this as possible as well. Right. Because as much as like, players who might impact let's just say like by the numbers you know like their store might have like 10,000 shoppers like if you can impact now a hundred million people because of how big your store is that's just more of an impact so I think you know don't always lean into some of like the negative connotations you might hear because big company big industry whatever but you know really kind of like cheer them on and support them when they're doing some of these things because like Mm -hmm. we need more of these larger corporations kind of making the changes that they can. That's actually a really great perspective. Um, I'm glad you shared that because especially for me as an environmental advocate, 
it can be difficult for me to look past that and not associate evil with big corporations. But like at the end of the day, like instead of like resorting to cancel culture, we got to support these big businesses when we see them doing something right. All right. So now let's just do a quick spotlight on a product that we want to shout out. And then we are going to get into the interview portion of this episode. So what product do you want to highlight, Jazz? I'm actually going to highlight a mascara from Amekole. I love this brand. Amekole, everything is vegan. So Ashley, you don't have to go back through on their website and sort through and try to figure out like which product is vegan. So anything on here you can do. I am obsessed with their lip oils. And so I've just been kind of like watching what the company has come out with. And recently they came out with their first mascara. And Ashley, you probably know how hard it is to kind of do a vegan mascara. Um, A lot of companies use um, like beeswax. Mm -hmm. And I know sometimes when I use a vegan mascara, like they're kind of like crumbly or like there's this one brand I use where it's just, it comes off really weird. It's like, it's obviously not beeswax, but it just feels very waxy on my lashes. Um, And hers is just like, it's gorgeous. I feel like my lashes are long and luscious again, because I was obsessed, obsessed with getting lash extensions pre-pandemic and life has been life in. So I have not been back to my normal routine with that. So in the meantime, until I'm you know, wanting to go back like weekly, bi-weekly, whatever. This Amekole mascara has been giving me what I need. So we'll link that in the show notes for you guys. All right. So we have finished our trend report. We highlighted a product we love. And now we are going to get into the main event, which is our interview with Miss Boma Brown West. Oh, we're so excited about this one. No, Jasmine, you're excited about this interview as well. Um, Let's go ahead and dive right in. Here we go. All right, so joining us today is Ms. Boma Brown West. Boma has over 15 years' experience in working with businesses to improve product sustainability. She currently leads Environmental Defense Fund's work with companies to eliminate toxic chemicals from consumer products, packaging, and food. This includes getting major brands and retailers to set ambitious chemical policies, increase transparency, and invest in safer ingredient innovation. Boma also works to eradicate the toxic disparities in products offered to different consumer segments, primarily calling on beauty brands and retailers to set public safer chemicals commitments that explicitly promote equity and significantly reduce the toxic disparity in beauty products marketed to women of color. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. (laughs) We are very happy to see you. We've been following your work for a while. So, (laughs) Oh, that's great. (laughs) Yeah, we've been dying to talk to you because this is a very important topic to us. And I think it's a very important topic to our audience. And I think they're going to learn some things that maybe they didn't know about before. So let's first start off with what you do at EDF. So we want to talk about, you know, EDF and EDF's mission. You know, we've heard there's research that's shown women of color are exposed to more chemicals and beauty products linked to early onset puberty and doctrine disruptors and other issues more than other segments, which is why it's such an honor to chat with someone like you who's working on making our products safer through your work at EDF. Now, as companies are prioritizing ingredient safety, EDF has an initiative called 
clean beauty justice that is committed to accessing safer beauty products for women of color, which we first noticed through an Instagram influencer campaign. And we saw that we were like, all right, we got to talk to you about this. So before we dig into (laughs) what clean beauty is and the clean beauty justice initiative, we want to start with a brief overview of EDF. So what is Environmental Defense Fund and what is its mission? Sure. So Environmental Defense Fund, or EDF, is an environmental nonprofit. And our mission is we're trying to preserve all the natural systems on which life depends. And so we work to solve today's biggest environmental problems. We're working to make to help communities become more resilient against climate change, We're trying to protect our food sources and try and create food more sustainably. And we're also trying to reduce people's exposure to toxic chemicals in their air, water, their food, and consumer products. So really, we've been around since, wow, 1967. (laughs) Sorry, a minute. Um, We've been around for, yeah, for quite a long time. And what I do at EDF, I lead uh, consumer health work focused on reducing people's exposure to toxic chemicals in consumer products. Looking at EDF and what it does, there's a lot of different functions, Um, just kind of like listening to everything with that. But specifically, what is the connection to making personal care safer, which sounds like it's a little bit more of what your role is at EDF? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, when people, when most people think about their exposure to pollution, particularly chemical pollution, they think about things that might be lurking in their water. They think about things that might be in landfills or, you know, just dirty air, for example, right? But unfortunately, consumer products are one of our sources of exposure to toxic chemicals. And, you know, with consumer products, we spend a lot of time with our products, right? Especially as more and more people spend time indoors. So we sit on furniture all the time. We're putting lotion on our body every single day. We're using shampoo. We're wearing clothes every day. And unfortunately, consumer products, you know, they have, they're made of many different types of ingredients, but unfortunately, a number of these ingredients are, um, have been found to be toxic to our health or to that of the environment. For example, you know, in Europe, they, uh, they calculated that 62% of chemicals that are used in consumer products are harmful. And so really, um, my work really does dovetail well with our overall goal of trying to reduce and eliminate pollution and sources of pollution. And that's why I work on the sources of pollution that are coming in through a marketplace, through consumer products. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did not know that stat about the 62%. Um, Does that have anything to do also with what they're doing, how Europe is a lot more stringent in the ingredient policies? Is that something that happened before they set those policies? Well, you know, the research is always ongoing in terms of the chemicals that are commonly used to make our products and our food, you know, what is our understanding of their hazards, right? And so we learn every day about, you know, some chemicals that have been widely in use, like per and polyfluorinated alkyl substances or PFAS ones, right, which are all in the news right now. They are used ubiquitously in many different packaging and products. 
And unfortunately, we know there's a huge body of evidence now showing that these chemicals are harmful to us and continue to be because they just stay around in the environment. You know, I would definitely say that with respect to the EU, they've been they've been more proactive over the last several decades on trying to tackle chemicals of concern or toxic chemicals in consumer products uh, than the United States is. When we talk about beauty products, for example, shockingly, the legislation around like protecting our beauty products hasn't been updated since 1938. So, so long, way, way before my parents were even born, right? right. And so, so we're dealing with a lack of real comprehensive government oversight that is taking a look at the modern science telling us about these long-term effects. But at the same time, we've had a proliferation and huge growth of retail, right? And especially of the beauty industry. So kind of bringing it back to beauty, like you were saying, you know, um, what we can almost call the clean beauty industry has been under fire a little bit lately. And most of what I've noticed online is, you know, maybe different individuals trying to link, you know, what people are considering clean beauty to claims of being chemical free. And this link that sometimes I'm seeing people doing feels like it's almost trying to discredit clean. Some of the argument is, well, if everything is chemical, then, you know, clean beauty must be false, right? <laughs> um, so one criticism of clean beauty is that there is no clear cut definition right now. And, you know, it does vary from brand to brand, retail to retailer, right? Um, so Sephora just announced like new clean standards. Mm-hmm. Credo is probably one of the top right now in how they define what clean beauty is or just clean in general between, you know, ingredient safety and also environmental safety as well. So kind of talking a little bit about what we were just saying with, you know, different standards um, in the UK being different in what's going on with the US legislation. Do you foresee a single standard to clean being established by US legislation that can be vetted through platform partners, what supported by EDF, like Chem Forward? And if not, what does clean beauty mean for you? Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. Clean beauty today, it's very much like the wild, wild west. Part of the reason that we have this is because of that law that I um, mentioned a little while ago that hasn't been updated since 1938, even though like the science has been developing substantially since that time period. And at EDF, you know, we're optimistic about the growing urgency from state and federal legislators to tackle this. But regulatory reform will be a long process. It already is, it's already a long process, right? And so we can't let up on demanding that companies step up at the same time. But as you mentioned, there are some companies out there that are spouting fallacies like chemical free, right? That doesn't exist. <laughs> Nothing chemical. Even our, you know, our whole bodies were made of, if I take it all the way back to like, you know, high school chemistry, we are all made of different types of chemicals, right? But really where clean beauty we think is trying to go is companies recognizing this desire, this need from consumers for products that are that are safer. But because there is no standard industry definition, harmonized market definition or um, regulatory definition 
We see a, a marketplace right now where a lot of companies can label their products with limited explanation for why or what they mean. And it just makes it harder as shoppers to really find products that are safer. You brought up Credo Beauty, um, and I actually sit on their advisory council, and they are definitely a great example of a, a retailer that is trying to bring clarity to this space, trying to put out robust definition and really um, provide consumers with a lot of information to help them learn about what things to really look out for in products and make it easier for them to shop smarter and safer. But in most, you know, they're one retailer, right? And in most of the marketplace, the description of how and what companies are defining as clean isn't always accessible or credible. So earlier this year, we published a clean beauty roadmap. And in that, you know, we essentially put a stake in the ground that clean really needs to describe beauty and personal care products that are made with the safest possible ingredients and have the lowest environmental impacts that the market can offer today. And we put out our definition of what clean beauty should mean. And we see this as that North Star for companies, that they're aiming to make products made of the safest possible ingredients and the lowest environmental impact possible today. And they're taking measured steps to be able to achieve that in terms of how they're selecting ingredients and how they are creating products. Yeah, we're going to definitely link to that in the show notes. Um, I think yeah. it's, it's great to have, you know, just like as consumers, just as regular people who are shopping for themselves, for their families, you know, have a place that they can go to that they feel like is unbiased information. So I think mm -hmm. it's great that you guys make that available. Um, and we'll definitely link to that. Now, what about the connection between, you know, beauty, public health and environment, you know, that is pretty much important or like the pillar to EDF, because it seems like as an organization, that is part of what you all doing is kind of like working to connect all three within the, um, within our community. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, all of my team's work is about safer consumer products and it's inclusive of beauty, but I want to say why we focus a lot of our attention on beauty. And it's because these are the products, beauty and personal care products, these are the ones that people, particularly women, are using on their bodies every single day. We use these products every single day. And so it's important that we trust in the safety of the ingredients in those products. You know, unfortunately, lurking inside uh, beauty and personal care products are certain chemicals that can harm our health and that of the environment. And, you know, some of these are very common ingredients, phthalates, which often show up in fragrances or the ingredient on the list that says fragrance, toluene, which shows up sometimes in nail polish, and a number of other chemicals like these that have been linked to diseases and disorders like infertility, cancer, and heart disease. And yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And even though, even though as users of products, we're probably using that standard pea size amount that they tell us to use, the daily frequent exposure can add up. And then just generally speaking, you know, this whole connection between beauty, public health, and the environment, if we go back and look at, you know, consumer products more generally, and, you know, beauty and personal care products are a part of this. Consumer products are actually the largest source of environmental impact in our world. 
Because if you trace them all the way back to you think about how they're created, used, and then disposed of, you know, consumerism is responsible for 60% of global greenhouse gas emissions and 50 to 80% of land and material and water use. And then a significant contributor to the billion tons of municipal trash that is thrown away every single year around the globe. So as consumers, we have to be more cognizant of the toll that products can have on our bodies and on the environment long term. And, you know, companies need, they definitely need to be more cognizant of that too, and be trying to set, develop products that limit, that are reducing their environmental impact and reducing their human health impact. Yeah. So there's a clear need for something to be done. But I'm hoping you can talk a little bit about the challenges that are prohibiting, you know, safer products to be available for all consumers. Like, what are those challenges there? Yeah. You know, first, we have like the uh, regulatory environment that we live in. As we discussed earlier, it's nowhere where it needs to be, right? And then, you know, for companies, even if they have the ambition They don't always know where or how to start or have the resources to really invest in safer chemistry. So, you know, in other words, like what they need to do on the ground to put safer products on the shelf and make them accessible to every single consumer. So part of what I do is I establish ground rules for creating responsible and credible safer chemicals programs. And in the context of um, beauty, clean beauty programs with a focus, like a priority on ingredient safety. And so one of the biggest hurdles in being able to live out that vision of uh, clean beauty or, you know, safer products is finding safer alternatives. Um, So on the one hand, it started one thing and now we've got to test this other thing that we're replacing it. Yeah, exactly. Like on the one hand, we're trying to get companies to eliminate toxic chemicals, right? But the work isn't done there because the worst thing could be someone takes out a known toxic chemical and then they replace it with something that has the same or worse hazard, right? And so if companies aren't all equally focused on finding and using alternatives that pose lower to no hazard to health and environment, then we're just back to square one. And that's why, you know, part of our work as well is partnering with organizations like Chem Forward, which is at least in in their case, they're a globally harmonized repository for safer alternatives. And what they did last year that we partnered with them on was they created an initial portfolio of safer alternatives for cosmetic ingredients to make it easier for companies to be able to know what should I move into? What are the options for, you know, if I'm looking for an ingredient that is an emollient, so kind of like a softer softness, like then like what ingredients are there for me? If I'm looking for safer um, preservatives, what ingredients are out there for me to choose from? And so that is a big part of the puzzle for um, companies moving forward, but it, it all starts with a commitment to want to do better. Yeah, I thought that was great because I can't remember if I saw it on the Clean Beauty Justice site or if it was specifically on EDF site, but I saw that reference to Chem Forward. So it looks like, you know, you all are doing the work, but then also setting different like guidance and 
links and kind of like showing like, okay, if you want to do the work, here's how, Mm -hmm. because like you said, if you don't necessarily have, you know, a company that's like a L'Oreal, because you have to say all these like indie brands and things like that today, they may not necessarily have the staff who can, you know, evaluate those same in the same way, but I guess like providing some of these links to come forward and things like that Mm -hmm. really kind of helps set the tone by people who are actually like working in this field right now. You know, if someone is listening to this and then thinking to themselves, like they may not have been aware of what could be in their products they're using daily, this is maybe just a little bit of a wake up call, just to even flip whatever they're using to the back and say, hey, like what actually is in this that I'm using, Mm -hmm. right? Are there action steps that just as consumers as opposed to like a brand that you think people can do to kind of advocate for a safer product? Is it about contacting people within like their state legislation or, you know, what have you? Yeah, you know, there's definitely action steps that consumers can take. And, you know, it's all about demanding of businesses and policymakers to fix our current system. And we see that consumers have two powerful tools that they, in their arsenal, if you will, for pushing companies and government to create that safer, more sustainable future that we all deserve. Um, The first one is leveraging the power of consumer demand by using our wallets. So using our wallets to purchase from products from brands that are leading on clean beauty, really leading on it. And then the other important tool is, and I think you alluded to this, calling on our elected officials to support smart and health protective legislation that will improve government oversight of beauty and cosmetic ingredients and products. Okay. I work with a lot of dermatologists, plastic surgeons, and estheticians. And often these are some of the people who, uh, as just like a regular everyday person, that they're going to and talking to them about product piece, right? What should I be using? You know, is this making me break out? Is this making my daughter have eczema, right? Right. (laughs) Eczema. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think you've been dealing with that with your son. I have a baby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I want to know as individuals, as maybe they're going into some of those appointments, um, those physicians and healthcare professionals, is there opportunities that you feel like that they have where they should maybe be asking their patients more questions about the products that they use? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I think about the typical doctor's visit and, you know, we're asked about what we eat, how much exercise we do, whether we smoke, those kind of things. And, you know, all of those are very important data points to help them and to help us understand our health. But what's rarely brought up is the products that we use on our bodies every single day, right? That never comes up, almost never comes up. And our health is impacted by genetics. It's impacted by environmental factors, including, you know, stressors like poverty, but also including chemicals. Chemicals are part of our environment. And unfortunately, and I feel like this has been my drumbeat this whole conversation, (laughs) consumer products are a source, an important source of exposure to harmful chemicals. But for this to be a meaningful part of the conversation between a doctor and patient, we need our healthcare professionals to be um, more well-read about the linkage between chemicals and products and our health. 
and how to engage patients effectively on this issue. And, um, you know, we do know a few public health researchers who are trying to build that bridge and help bring environmental health issues more into the conversation in the, in the doctor's office. Yeah, that's promising. Um, if you have any of those that either you know of now or I'll, I'll link to it later yeah. so people can kind of have that as a resource of maybe other people that they should follow or just kind of keep up with some of the work that they're doing. Yeah, I can send you some stuff afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, everyone's always looking for like, what's the credible source, right? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So it just sounds like a struggle because like if the healthcare professionals aren't asking these important questions, well, what can consumers do to educate themselves or how can we educate consumers on the health impacts of the products that they're using? Yeah. I mean, the first thing is to recognize that what we put on and around our bodies every single day can have an impact on our health. The products that we surround ourselves with can have an impact on our health. And to recognize that there are certain commonly used ingredients that have been linked to health issues, like reproductive issues, like allergies. You know, we were just talking about like eczema and like, you know, other types of skin irritations, right? And unfortunately, certain chemicals that have been linked to cancer. And so what we need is we need companies to be forthright about the ingredients they put in products and why as well as, you know, what's the due diligence that they're putting into selecting ingredients. This is something like, you know, I was talking earlier today about um, consumers voting with their wallets or seeking out this information, really demanding this info and this type of focus and priority on safer chemistry from companies. Because uh, when we are able to do this, it really kind of pushes these companies to prioritize safer products and give us as consumers greater opportunity to make informed purchase decisions. Well, huh, this is all. <laughs> well, take a beat for a second to process all that information. Um, <laughs> Especially as, you know, a, a probably new mom too, yeah, right? Yeah. I, I think yeah. for, you know, a lot of people, it's like the first time you really start paying attention to all of this is like, you know, when you become pregnant and your, do your doctor is yes. like, yeah, actually, maybe you're not supposed to use like, you know, X, Y, and Z product any longer, you know, my retinol. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? Right, that's exactly it. And it's, and you're right. I mean, I do think for a lot of people, I've heard many times, like their journey starts when they're about to bring a child into the world or their new moms. But it's, yeah, this is information that is important for us to know all along, uh, particularly as women, information for us to start learning when we're even younger than that. Because many of the beauty routines that we all use, these are things that, yeah, they started when we were like preteens yeah. or teenagers. And of course, you know, oh, yeah, it's, you know, think sometimes you let things go. You're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I used to wear that, right? <laughs> but a lot of these things, first we adopt certain routines or product preferences from our parents, from our moms. And then we like start embedding certain things when we're, when we're developing teenagers and all of this can have an impact on us at that time or 20, 30 years down the road in our lives. It is important to start learning more about these issues and looking at what what can we do as consumers, but also what should we be demanding of our policymakers and of companies. 
mind blown. We will continue this jaw-dropping interview with Boma in the next episode because this got so deep, we had to break this up into two parts. Oh, and don't forget to share this with someone who you know would love it because this is the kind of episode you're gonna wanna talk about with your friends. All right. Thank you for tuning into Beauty and Impact today. If you got any gems from this episode, please subscribe to us wherever you're listening and show us some love by writing a review. It helps other beauties looking to make an impact just like you find the show so they can listen too. And while you're waiting for the next episode to drop, just go ahead and hit us up on Instagram at Beauty and Impact. We'd love to hear from you. All right. That's it. We'll catch you in the next episode with more green tea on beauty and sustainability. 